mindfulness mode? Motivation comes from within and motivation comes from out with. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show today. I think you're going to really like it. And before I introduce my guest, I want to just say that we're still celebrating our five-year Mindfulness Mode anniversary. And back on episode 264 in October of 2017, I interviewed my friend Diane Curran, and she's a creative marketing expert. And the episode was so enlightening. It talked about using the wow of mindfulness in your marketing. Here's Diane with a couple of words of congratulations. Let me share a bit about Bruce Langford. The words that come to mind about Bruce are that he's both profound and playful, a rare combination. Like the Dalai Lama, known for bursting into laughter while teaching transformation, Bruce as a person and host is a delight. He makes a safe space for guests like myself to share experiences that have deeply shaped our lives from the pain of being bullied and what mindfulness discoveries we've made to the unexpected challenges and adventures in modern life. I wish to add my hearty congratulations to Bruce's latest milestone, which he's already surpassing in years and episodes. He has created a rich and rewarding library of conversations that live on. Bruce's mindfulness mode is a gift to us all. Enjoy. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Mindful Tribe, I'm sure that you hear a lot about emotional intelligence. And today is a great day because you are going to hear from an expert on emotional intelligence. I'm here with the founder and director of EI for Change, Emotional Intelligence for Change. So EI and the number four, Change. This is a company that specializes, of course, in emotional intelligence, positive psychology, neuroscience. He's the author of two books on the subject, and he has educational programs on resilience and and emotional intelligence as the most comprehensive education that's out there. And his material is used worldwide. He's taught more than 70,000 students in 175 plus countries and has delivered keynote speeches and conferences across the world, including at Harvard University. So I'm here with Robin Hills. Robin, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm always trying my best to be in mindfulness mode, Bruce. Uh, Thank you for inviting me along to contribute to your mindfulness mode. And I'm so excited to talk to you today, Robin. So what does mindfulness mean to you? And then we'll talk about social intelligence and what that means to you. Well, mindfulness is uh, a a fundamental component of emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is made up of a number of different components. One of the most key components is what's going on in your inner world, what's going on inside your head. And one of the fundamental components of that inner world and emotional intelligence is awareness. So mindfulness to me and mindfulness in the emotional intelligence space is having that awareness. It's being very much self-aware. What are your strengths? What are your limitations? How are you engaging with other people? How are you engaging with the world? What is it that's going on around you? It's situational awareness. 
And I'm reminded of the definition that's given to us by John Kabat-Zinn, where mindfulness really is being attentive, very much on purpose, in the present moment, being very attentive in a non-judgmental fashion to what's unfolding around you and what's changing with the environment on a moment-to-moment uh, -moment basis. Now, I've not quoted him word for word, but that is the essence. And that, to me, is what mindfulness is. Uh, I really do need to be aware of what's going on around me and what I can do now. Not what I've done 10 minutes ago, not what you and I are going to do in 10 minutes time. It's what is happening now. And a lot of that is based around my emotion and how I'm responding in the outer world and how I'm responding to your emotion as well. So it's, it's having that understanding of emotions and how one works with emotions and manages one of one's emotions. So mindfulness is also being about um, being aware of emotions and working with emotions positively and effectively. And so now let's talk about emotional intelligence. What are the key differences and what is the definition of emotional intelligence? Well, the simple definition that I work to is being smart with your feelings. It's how do you use your thinking combined with your emotions to build up quality relationships and make authentic decisions. Nothing more complicated than that. However, it's not easy. No, it's not. And a lot of people struggle with relationships, that's for sure. So how can we move to a place where we can improve our relationship skills? The first and fundamental focus is on yourself. Um, I can't change you, you can't change me. The only thing I can change within a relationship is me. So if the relationship is not working, it's up to me to change me to make the relationship work. It's not a case of you need to do this, you need to do that, you're making me feel no, all of that responsibility lies with me. And so how can we move out of our comfort zone to get to a place where we can actually be a better person, feel better about ourselves and be more content? Ooh, now, that is a very interesting question because it's very hard to define. One has to be comfortable in one's own skin and one's got to learn to love oneself and got to come to terms with who and what you are. Now, jokingly, I will say to anybody that I am Robin Hills, I'm white, middle-aged, I'm uh, a man. There's nothing I can do about any of that. So with the best will in the world, I am never, ever going to be a member of Diana Ross's Supremes. I just have not got the genes to be able to allow me to do that. So what is it that I can do? And the only thing that I can do is to try and make a positive contribution to the world based on who I am and what I am. 
I may not like some of the aspects of the group that I tend to be stereotypically aligned with. Middle-aged white men have not got a very good reputation out there in the big wide world. But what I need to do is to make sure that I'm the best version of that group that I can possibly be. And within that, I'm the best person of me that I can possibly be. Nobody else could be Robin Hills. That's my prerogative. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, you have an excellent podcast out there where you address so many aspects of emotional intelligence, and it's called EI for Change podcast and simply like i said earlier e i and the number four change one of the things you talked about on there was the dark side of emotional intelligence tell us about that oh yes that's very interesting because everybody seems to think that emotional intelligence is this great nirvana that we should aspire towards being emotionally intelligent but like everything, um, a strength overplayed could become a weakness. And with emotional intelligence, part of the dark side is that if you can be emotionally intelligent and have a lot of emotional intelligence, you can use it for nefarious purposes. You can use it to manipulate. You can use it to control people. Let me give you an example, and, and let me do so without mentioning any names, uh, because on the political stage and throughout history, there are very good examples of individuals who have used emotional intelligence for their own purposes. They know that emotions and working with emotions is a skill, and they know how to manipulate populations by pressing the right emotional buttons to get people to comply with exactly what they want in order to get the outcomes that they want. And again, without mentioning any names, there are a lot of dictators throughout history who've done that. And there are a lot of politicians on the current world stage who are very good at doing that. And they're across a range of countries, so I'm not pointing any fingers in any directions because I want to keep it completely apolitical. But that is the dark side of emotional intelligence, and we need to recognize that. Yes, yes, for sure. Well, how can we use mentors to help us with our emotional intelligence? I think the, the core component that we need to focus on when we are working with our emotional intelligence is, again, very, very simple to talk about, but very difficult to do, and that's empathy. Empathy is how do I get inside the world of the other person that I'm engaging with? How can I see it from their perspective? How can I help to make a difference to them in their world through understanding and that is really the way that a difference could be made again not easy very easy to talk about i want to talk about forgiveness forgiveness and and what role forgiveness plays in our emotional intelligence forgiveness forgiveness starts again with self because it's to me to forgive anybody who has transgressed any of my values. 
Now, it doesn't mean to say that I have to be nice all the time. That's not emotional intelligence. Um, let's have a look at the emotion anger. If somebody is doing something that goes really fundamentally against my core values, that drives a feeling in anger, of anger in myself, then I need to write that wrong. I need to express that anger. And again, how to express that anger in the most appropriate way to deal with that transgression is not easy. And that's down to my skill in terms of working with and regulating my emotion. Now, ultimately, one will get to a point with individuals where you've done as much as you possibly can. And then we go back into empathy mode. You don't necessarily have to agree with the person. You just have to try and understand it from their viewpoint. And through empathy, you are much more likely then to forgive. You might not forget, but it's a case of allowing that person just to be. But more importantly, it's coming to terms with forgiveness within that relationship so that you can move the relationship forward. And having said that, Bruce, I will add, I'm human like everybody else. There are people that have transgressed my values and have done so, and I've dealt with it. But it's up to me to work with that individual. And there are some people who I just don't want to have anything to do with at all. Um, no matter how emotionally intelligent I want to be, I just do not feel that the relationship is going anywhere. Therefore, it's up to me to manage that. More often than not, I will walk away from the relationship and try and build any bridges along the way. But uh, you know, we've just got to accept that there are going to be times when it becomes too difficult. I read a book called No More, Mr. Nice Guy, and I found it quite interesting. And I wonder what your comments are on the topic of being too nice or the fact that in our society, it feels like there is this component of, you know, just trying to be nice too much of the time. How do we deal with that? I think the first part of it is to recognize that uh, that niceness comes from within and we're trying to be liked. I want to be liked. You want to be liked, Bruce. Your listeners want to be liked. So what is it that we can do in a relationship to make people like us? And you're right. A lot of people are just too nice. And unfortunately, that's not an emotionally intelligent approach. One has to be assertive within the relationship. Now, it doesn't mean to say that takes anything away from your niceness. All you're doing in that relationship then is expressing your needs and having your needs recognized and having your needs understood. Now, whether they're met or not is, is another matter. But if you don't say anything, it's almost put up and shut up. And a lot of people will more readily do that because they feel that they want to keep the relationship intact and they have no right to be assertive or they don't know how to express their assertiveness. But uh, 
being emotionally intelligent is using assertion in the right way, in the right way, because push it too far and it becomes aggression. And I find a lot of people who are too nice try to be assertive and they get it wrong. And they become over-assertive and they become aggressive. And it just doesn't work. So more often than not, it's easier to revert back to being nice again. Right, right. Let's talk about gratitude. There's a lot of talk about gratitude these days and gratitude journals and how much gratitude can help us to be better people. What role does gratitude play in emotional intelligence? Again, gratitude is a part of emotional intelligence and indeed it's a part of mindfulness. It's learning to be grateful. It's learning to be grateful with what life has served up. And that then links into resilience, which we may or may not come back to later. But uh, it, we're in a situation where we are going through the throes of the pandemic. There's not a lot that you or I can do about it. Now, being grateful for the pandemic is, is not the right approach, but we find ourselves in a situation where we have to adapt around it. What can we be grateful for? Now, I'm very grateful because my role, my job keeps me going and it provides me with income. I'm in a very sound relationship with my family. I may not be able to see them as often as I like because of the pandemic or engage with them as often as I like, but I've got to be grateful for the fact that I've got them and they're there for me. I've got to be grateful for the fact that I enjoy a nice lifestyle. I've got food in my belly. I've got a nice soft warm bed to sleep in. I've got to be grateful for that. And it's just a case of being grateful for everything that you've got at this particular moment in time. That is gratitude. And I'm grateful for opportunities. I'm grateful to you, Bruce, for inviting me to speak on your podcast. So it's showing that positive gratitude wherever in a very enthusiastic, but again, appropriate and empathetic way. One of my listeners has asked a question knowing that you were going to be on my show and they wanted to ask a question about motivation. And they said, how can I become more motivated? The more I try, the more unmotivated I become. Mm -hmm. And again, I would answer that by, first of all, saying that emotional intelligence uh, is underpinned by motivation. It's underpinned by motivation across all of the elements of emotional intelligence. How do I motivate myself? And how do I motivate other people? Um, motivation comes from within and motivation comes from out with. So how do I use that combination of both to motivate me? What is it that motivates you? If I ask that to a lot of people, the answer that will automatically come back from a lot of people is money. No, money doesn't motivate. Money is a factor there which does tend to strive towards helping people, but that motivation has got to come from within. Now, there's 
let's recognize with gratitude what your listener has given us. They've actually given us the opportunity to discuss motivation, but also that listener was motivated to ask that question. So there is motivation within that listener. How can, how can that listener, how can you tap into your internal motivation to get more of what it is that drives you forward? What is it that motivates you? What is it that you enjoy doing? What, how can you get more of that? I'm often reminded of people who are starting out in business where they say, what is it that you will do? And because you do it so well and you enjoy doing it so much, you do it for free. Because if you can recognize that, then you've got motivation. Start small. What is it that motivates you? What is it that you like to eat? How can you reward yourself with that treat or doing something that perhaps you don't like or don't want to do? Send that email that you need to send and then reward yourself with a, a treat, whatever that may be. So play with yourself, enjoy it. Nobody needs no nobody needs to know that's what you're doing. I want to ask you, Robin, how habits can play a role in our emotional intelligence? I think we need to look at habits and strive for the habits that drive us forward and change the habits that hold us back. So again, it's back to mindfully being self-aware. What is it that you're good at? What are your strengths? Let's have more of that. Let's take those behaviors and make them into mindful habits, get you to understand that that is a gift that you have that not many other people have. Uh, let's not worry about your weaknesses. Let's not take, let's, let's not worry about taking something that's not good and make it not bad. Let's look at what it is that you are good at and create an environment where you can habitually use those to your best ability. And, and let me say that when I'm coaching or working with people, particularly when I'm helping them with self-awareness with personality and behavioral assessments, I point out a, a strength to them and say, this is what you're really good at. And a lot of people have not got the gratitude, first of all, to be able to accept it. And secondly, they will then say to me, yes, but doesn't everyone? And by actually not recognizing that that's, of course, strength of theirs, they're almost diminishing it. They're apologizing for it. They're pushing it away from themselves. So if you're good at something, just recognize it and recognize that that's a core quality that you alone have, makes you special in the world. Robin, when did the term emotional intelligence come into being? I know you've worked in emotional intelligence for many years. When did we start calling it that? Howard Gardner, back in the 1930s, recognized a number of different intelligences. And within his list of intelligences were interpersonal and 
extra, uh, sorry, intrapersonal and interpersonal intelligences. Underpinning that is emotional and social intelligence, but he didn't use those words. The words were actually used in the early 80s by uh, Jack Mayer and Peter Salovey in some of their academic research. Now they're at Yale University and they published a number of papers on the topic. Uh, a lot of it was academic by definition, good quality peer reviewed study. Um, it was Daniel Goldman back in the 1990s who brought the term into the public consciousness through his books. And on the basis of his books, many, many people have actually started to work in this field and um, a lot more work has been done, a lot more research has been done, but it's become very popular. It's become a bit of a buzzword over the years. And I think the important thing to recognize is that emotional intelligence is, it may be a buzzword, but it's not a fad. It's not going to go away. It's an important component of our being. So how do we recognize it and work with it? And how do we use it? And how do we use it for good and bring it into the public consciousness and get people to engage with it more positively? Robin, as a child, and I'm going to say as a seven-year-old child, can you think back and remember an incident where maybe it kind of shares with us what kind of a child you were? Were you particularly empathetic? What were you like? Now, that is a, a fascinating question. If I think back to when I was seven years old, I had just moved from Northern England to Northern Ireland. And I was thrown in with a group of boys and girls at school where I didn't know anybody. And I had to build up new relationships and new friendships. And all the friends that I'd worked with and lived with through primary school were no longer there. Um, was I an empathetic child? I liked to be liked and it was important to build up friendships and relationships through being liked. And I think a lot of that came from uh, my upbringing. My father is a, a minister of religion and I think his teachings form a fundamental part of who I, who I was then as a seven-year-old boy and who I, who I am now. So uh, I look back and there are parts of my behavior as a child that I'm not proud of, but I've got to remind myself I was a boy. And uh, like every boy, I got into trouble and I did good things and I did things that are not so good. Um, I also found out at about the same time that my eyesight was not as good as it should be. I, it turns out that I was very short-sighted and I needed to wear a pair of glasses. Now the glasses that were available for a seven-year-old boy at that time were hideous. Great big plastic blocks and I hated wearing them. Absolutely hated wearing them. 
And they were a point of contention because it uh, enabled me to be the butt of everybody's joke. And, you know, to a certain extent, I really didn't like that. But I learn and grow through that. And it helps the making of the man that I am today, years and years ago. <laughs> so I don't deny it and I don't reject it. It's a part of who I am and what I am. Robin, what do you think is the most misunderstood aspect of emotional intelligence? I think we've touched on it. It's about niceness. Uh, everybody seems to think that being emotionally intelligent is being nice. It's not about being nice. It's about recognizing emotions as they surface and working with them and uh, managing them in an appropriate way. Because if I am working with a seven-year-old boy who is extremely angry, uh, he hasn't got the adult capacity of being able to work with and manage that anger in an appropriate way. Now, as a, an adult, the easiest response is to tell him to stop behaving in the way that he's behaving or to get angry and, uh, dare I say, to actually then start to use physical violence by slapping the child. Um, but that is not appropriate. The most appropriate way is in a mindful manner just to, to, to work with the child, to understand where that anger comes from, why they're so angry, to talk to them and to help them to understand that they need to come to terms with that in an appropriate way. Again, Bruce, I've got to say, this is very easy to talk about in an interview. It's very hard to do it in the moment, in a non-judgmental way. Do it on purpose, uh, sorry, do it in an attentive way and working with purpose. It is very hard, very hard. But if one can come out of that situation and say to oneself, right, what did I do well? What could I have done better? And then one can learn through that process. Robin, I think your website is amazing. Uh, emotional intelligence uh, is just, as soon as you open that website, there's so much that you're offering. There's so much free material. And uh, I know there's a free online course and free emotional intelligence resources that you can click on and quizzes. And then also a free book, Develop Your Emotional Intelligence. What is the most downloaded resource that you offer on your website? At the moment, it's the emotional intelligence book. And the reason why it is the most downloaded resource at the moment is because I'm actually doing a, uh, we're in the middle of a marketing campaign where, where we're using it as a lead magnet. So perhaps that is skewing the results a lot. I know a lot of people do download the book and put it aside and think, oh, I'll read that later. Um, if we were to strip that out of the equation, it's the Working with Mindfulness online course that tends to attract a lot of attention. And then the other resources that people like are the Lightbulb Moments cards, which uh, allow people to download PDFs of 
various insights to emotional intelligence that they can print off. And I know a lot of people print the mindfulness, sorry, the, um, the light bulb moment cards off and uh, print them off onto postcards and then they can position them around the office at work or at home and it acts as a little reminder of various aspects of emotional intelligence. Yes, and I didn't mention again that the website is EI4Change, the number four, so EI4Change.com. So check out all this on the website. And one of the things you include on the website, which is not always a very common thing these days, is a direct phone number. So you say, call us at this phone number or email us to talk to us about emotional intelligence. And it feels like in this society, in this world, we're moving away from that where, you know, people just pick up the phone and talk to someone about something. People seem to not want to do that. What is going on? Why is it that we don't want to connect with each other as much as we used to through telephone conversations? I don't know that it's the honest answer, Bruce. And whilst you were actually asking that question, I was thinking back. I have had pro I have probably one email every three months, and I can't recall a single time where anybody's picked the telephone up. Um, now, I, it's not going to open up the floodgates because, as you say, people are, are, are rather reluctant to pick up the phone. Perhaps they don't know what they're going to get on the other end. Perhaps they feel that they don't want to waste my time. Perhaps they think they're going to be sold to. I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is. Or perhaps people uh, feel that they're imposing or, or trampling into somebody's space by picking up the phone and saying, oh, I've got this issue. Can you help? Well, pick up the phone. I'm more than happy to help. And whether I can answer your question or not, I don't know. And to have an opportunity to speak to an expert such as yourself is pretty incredible because you offer more emotional intelligence resources than anyone else on the planet. Is that true? I don't know. I've not, not tested that theory, so it may be. I'm very keen to ensure that I establish myself in the emotional intelligence space to make a difference to people's lives. So what is it that I can do to allow that to happen? And if it's by providing resource and uh, information and by providing free material, then I'm, I'm happy to do that. A lot of that material would only be sitting on my laptop in a file. Well, I might as well put it up on the website and let people have a gain advantage from it. So that's my ethos behind it. It's stuff that I have developed that is unique to EI for Change over many years. So uh, it's anybody starting from scratch is going to have to spend a lot of resource trying to catch up. Uh, but that's not my intention. I've got the stuff. It's there. Please go and we have an expression in the UK, go and fill your boots. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, Rob and I always ask a question about bullying because I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for a long time. But do you have a story you can share with us, either a personal story where you were bullied or where you bullied someone or some kind of story where emotional intelligence or mindfulness would have made a difference? I'm going to not necessarily share a traditional story in that direction, Bruce. I'd like to share with you an experience I've had around the concept of bullying that I'm sure your listeners will find absolutely fascinating. About 10 years ago, I was doing some research with a colleague of mine who works in EI for Change, Doug Haynes. And Doug and I were researching this concept of resilience. What does resilience look like? Now, the word resilience is being banded around a lot. Today, it's being banded around even more so than perhaps it was 10 years ago. But everybody was talking about resilience. But what does it mean? Now, we went into a number of businesses and we spoke to a lot of different people at a lot of different levels, and they gave us some insights into what resilience looked like, um, a soft toy, a uh, bouncy ball, uh, a tree bending in a storm, uh, disabled people in wheelchairs really enjoying their lives playing basketball, people in a race being held back with bits of elastic, uh, people were searching for a treasure, yet there's a, an incomprehensible maze in order to get there. And those are only a few examples. On the basis of the work that we did, we put together with a commercial organization a coaching toolbox called Images of Resilience. And that was then made available to help to support coaching interventions. And it was made available, or it is available, um, globally. Now, three or four years after that was launched, we got a request for the toolbox to be adapted in the educational field. So we went into a number of schools and into a number of youth clubs to speak with the young people about their experience with resilience. And it became very, very clear, very quickly, that whilst the original set did cover bullying metaphorically in some specific way, in some subtle ways, there wasn't anything explicit within the toolbox. So we actually then set about designing and creating cards that really supported this field of bullying. And we came up with two with the young people. One was confidence and assertiveness, where the image is a young person walking away from a group of people who are pointing and laughing and really making mock of that particular individual. And the second one was rising to the challenge, whereby there was a knight in armor uh, fighting a dragon, a fire-breathing dragon, and he was really enjoying the experience. Now, both of these depicted bullying. With the confidence and assertiveness card, the young man walking away had the confidence and assertiveness to walk away from that situation, still feel good about himself. And with the 
knight fighting the dragon, the knight knew that he was, or knows that he is fighting an adversary who is very challenging. Um, but he was rising to the challenge to be able to tackle the dragon and to try and overcome it. And both of these cards have now been integrated into the coaching toolbox. And from that, we have had the most wonderful cathartic conversations around bullying that I have ever experienced when I'm talking to people. And that is in organizations, in schools, in education, in doesn't matter what industry, everybody seems to have a story to relate around how they have been imposed upon and somebody's trying to reduce their self-esteem, trying to reduce their confidence, yet they've actually risen to the challenge to try and overcome the adversary. So that's the story that I wanted to share with you because I think everybody has a story in there somewhere. And something like the metaphors around images of resilience help to draw it out and pull it out so that people feel more comfortable in sharing it. Robin, you have helped so many people. Can you share a story with someone that you helped who you felt had very little emotional intelligence when you began and they transitioned into a very different place in their life? Asking that question directly, Bruce, I, I can't think of any specific example, but I, I can relay something that happened to me this month. I was doing some work, if you can call it. I was, I was engaging in social media. I was on, on LinkedIn and I posted something and somebody came back to me and they said, oh, Robin, you really transformed my life when you interacted with me about 10 years ago. And I have to admit, I cannot remember that specific person, nor can I remember the specific occasion where we interacted, what it is that I did and what it is that I said. But I think a, a part of what's been talking about all the way through this podcast, Bruce, is my uh, desire to once change people's lives. But allowing them and giving them the permission to make that change themselves. Uh, so am I emotionally intelligent? Uh, that's an interesting question, because if I answer yes, it's rather arrogant and self-conceited and suggests that I, uh, I know everything there is to know about emotional intelligence. Yet if I answer no, what am I doing in the field of emotional intelligence? It depends. There are going to be times when I am not acting in an emotionally intelligent way. I may be tired, I may be hungry, I may not be feeling very well. Um, so I've got to recognize those times when I'm not being emotionally intelligent. Yet there are times when I'll go into a situation and I'll come out of it and I'll think, that went really well. I'm really pleased with what happened. And I could have done better, but yes, overall, I think I did really, really well. So the question, am I emotionally intelligent, is not appropriate. It's work in progress. 
and I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I'm still adapting through that. And by learning and growing and helping other people with their emotional intelligence and helping them to understand how they can use their emotional intelligence, that way I'll make a difference. So Robin, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has been a very strong influence to you in this emotional intelligence space? You might be surprised to hear this answer. I would uh, answer David Bowie. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, there's somebody who has made many, many changes over the years, uh, has had to uh, work with great adversity himself, has had to deal with his own issues, his own demons, and came through it remarkably well. Um, if I could do a tenth of what he's done, then I will be doing very, very well. Very interesting. How has mindfulness or I could also say emotional intelligence, how has this affected your emotions and how you deal with them? Again, it goes back to the answer I gave you earlier about my emotional intelligence. Um, how has it affected me? Being more mindful and being more aware of my emotions and the impact that they have on me and other people is the way in which I work with mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And I, sometimes I don't get it right. <laughs> Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness and the emotional intelligence work that you do. Uh, if I stop breathing, I stop living. Uh, so I feel that appropriate use of breath and concentration on breath is very, very useful in terms of mindfulness. So if I've got five minutes, 10 minutes, 10 seconds, and I think to myself, right, now's the time to concentrate on my breathing. I can have a mindful moment. I may be queuing, I may be waiting for something to happen, maybe just sitting quietly. I've always got my breath. Robin, you're the author of two books on emotional intelligence. And I know that, that uh, you've really shared so much work in your writing. And I believe your books are both part of a series, Images of Resilience. Is that true? No, Images of Resilience is a separate entity. It's a coaching okay. box. Um, and the two, the two books are standalone books, uh, The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience and The Authority Guide to Behavior and Business, both of which are underpinned with emotional intelligence. And can you recommend a book on this topic of mindfulness or emotional intelligence other than your own books? I want to take you back to uh, a book that everybody will have heard of and perhaps the majority of your listeners will have read, but I still think it's very, very relevant today. It's Stephen Covey's book about the seven habits of highly effective people. I think if I could put all of those points into practice, I would be a highly effective person. Right. Yes, it's a wonderful book, that's for sure. Well, can you recommend an app that can help with emotional intelligence? I have given this some thought, Bruce, and there are some wonderful apps there in terms of helping with mindfulness. It was my daughter a few years ago who uh, 
pointed me in the direction of the fact that I was using a, an app quite mindfully. I play Heyday, which is a farming uh, app. And what I do is I have my own farm and I uh, grow crops and I feed animals and I sell produce. And, and the very fact that I can dip into that and out of it gives me an opportunity just to uh, disengage from the world and do something completely different. And it doesn't matter what I do in the farm. I'm not going to, nobody's going to, to be killed. I'm not killing anybody. I'm, I'm not doing anything. Uh, untoward, except I'm just developing my farm and engaging with people through that. And I find that very, very mindful, very mindful, because it's just taking me away from life. That's very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, we know your website is eiforchange.com. Where is the best place on social media to find you? I am on Facebook. I have a Facebook group that people are most welcome to come along. And if you do come along and join, please contribute. It seems to be uh, a lot of people join and like what I post, but don't add anything else themselves. That's my emotional intelligence lab, all one word. And that is that can be found in Facebook. And I'm more than happy to get people to come along and join that Facebook group. I'm on LinkedIn. Come and find me on LinkedIn. I have a Twitter account and I'm actually just starting on Instagram. So I'm starting to build that community up. But it's a case of utilizing social media as a sharing platform. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on the show, Robin. And I want to know if you have a final word of advice for those of us who really want to improve our level of emotional intelligence. Two words, just be. I really like that because that is mindfulness, that is emotional intelligence. And if we could just be and not be so concerned about all of these other things, then we can move forward so much better. Robin, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Bruce. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, you take care, Robin. Bye now. Take care. Bye. My friend Don Hutchison has a very successful podcast called Discover Your Talent. You should check it out. And here he is with a couple of words of congratulations. Bruce, I want to congratulate you on the five-year anniversary of hosting the Mindfulness Mode podcast. 582 episodes is amazing. We each got into the world of podcasting at about the same time, have been guests on each other's podcast, and have become allies and friends. I particularly want to honor your work on the prevention of bullying, which has grown into a pervasive problem with young people over the years. And in your vision for sharing the concept of mindfulness with your listeners around the world, which I believe is one of the most vital modes for healing available to mankind. You're a man of integrity, compassion, and insight, and I wish you many more fruitful and fun years doing work that you love. My best to you and yours, my friend. Thanks, Don. And you can hear Don if you go back to episode 36 on Mindfulness Mode. So in the meantime, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>